Good morning, Mount Horeb. That was good. That was good. Usually we have to go back and forth two or three times before we get to an acceptable place, but that was good. My name is Daniel Savannah, and I'm super excited to be sharing God's Word with you guys this morning. I work with our student ministry, and I got to tell you, it's such a privilege um, for me to be in that role and also to be sharing with you guys today um, what, what God has put on my heart. Before we, we jump into all this, I, I'd love to give you guys a couple of updates. The first one is just about our student ministry, and that is for the past five weeks we've been meeting uh, back together on this campus, in this building, in this very room. And so it looks different, of course. Our students are wearing masks, and they're sitting four seats apart, six feet four seats. We've had to go and measure and count that. Um, but, but it's been good. It's good to be back in this place. And our students have been so cooperative of, of following our guidelines and rules and masks. And I'm just so excited and, and proud of them. And, uh, and our volunteers too have been doing an incredible job coming and helping and being a part of that. So if you, I'll just say that if you have a student who is thinking about coming back or, or you know could, would benefit from that, please send them our way. Um, we're also streaming all of those online um, if you're not comfortable with coming back. But, but it's different, but it's good. Um, and so we were excited and celebrate that. Another uh, update I wanted to give you guys, if you were here, um, and if you weren't, that's okay, but if you were here during our series, uh, Psalms of Ascent, I had the, the privilege of, of speaking then, and I told you guys about this, this secret desire, passion of mine, which is to be a DJ. And, and that may sound weird, I know I get that. If you haven't, if you didn't watch the message, or if you want a part of that, go back and, and you'll hear all about it. But a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, helping in one of our Habitat for Humanity builds, and uh, I was there, and someone came up to me, and, and they were kind of like looking at me, and they were like, wait, are you? And I was fully expecting them to say, are you one of the people who works on staff at Mount Horeb? And instead, they looked at me, and they said, are you the DJ? I said, yes. Yes, I am. I am the DJ. She goes, well, I've seen you at Mount Horeb. You, you preach? I said, yeah, I preach, you know, like on the side a little bit, you know, no big deal. I'm a DJ. And, and I was super excited. Uh, she came to the one event where I was asked to provide music for the event. It was our basketball celebration. And of course, I said, oh, yeah, I'll provide music. In fact, I'll DJ the event. Um, and so I'm excited to, to say that I was, uh, for the first time ever, recognized as a DJ. And I was very happy about that and thought I would share as an update for you guys. This morning, we are starting off a new series uh, called All the Feels. And uh, let's just do this. By show of hands, if you've heard this expression before, all the feels, go ahead and raise your hand. And if you haven't, that's okay. We're going to explain it to you. Uh, this is kind of some of our, our, our pop culture reference. This is what people have started to say. Feels, of course, mean feelings. And so when someone says, man, uh, that, that, that hits all the feels, that the idea is that if you're watching a, a movie or, or experiencing some art or a part of a concert, it kind of hits all of your emotions and all of your feelings. You've gone through the full range. Maybe you've gone through some excitement. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're, you're full of joy. Maybe you're like super sad. And whatever it is, it kind of hits the whole range, all of the feels. Or sometimes we'll say stuff like, that got me in my feels, and what that means is that it just hits you deep down in your soul where you feel things and made you kind of emotional, and that's okay. That's a good thing. You see, the, the truth is this. Each and every one of us, all human beings, are emotional beings. Now, some may say more or less than others. The truth is we experience things in different ways. Some of us like to compartmentalize. Some of us like to, to tuck things away. Some of us like to deal with it. Some of us don't know how to deal with it. It comes out all over the place. But everyone has emotions, and everyone is created to be an emotional person. Can I, can I share an emotional story with you guys? Is this a safe place? I'm, I'm here in the front row, but the rest of the room, I guess, is not okay. Online, I'm not sure if you're with us, but I'm going to share a personal story of, of my emotions. And this happened about two weeks ago. 
It was, a, it was a weeknight evening. I had gotten done with work. It was 5, 5.30. And it was one of those, those rare occasions where work is over, but you still feel productive. <laughs> Have you ever been there before? And it's like, I'm about to go home, but I feel like I could just accomplish so much right now. So I decided to go out and get dinner, treat yourself. And I brought my dinner back to my office. And I sat down and I had my dinner and I started typing. And, and I forget what I was doing, some emails and more like mindless work. And while I was doing that work, I decided, well, since no one's here in the church and since it's just kind of the stuff on the computer, I took my phone out. It was over by this like, little charging station. And I decided to turn on the latest TV show I had been watching. It was a show. It was a comedy. This is a family coming together, doing stuff. And I was watching the episode. It was kind of just like background noise. I was kind of tracking, laughing every once in a while. No big deal. And as I was, was typing in, the, the story of one of the main characters of the show kind of took a turn. And this main character, this main protagonist was going through some, some rough experiences, through some rough stuff, stuff in her life. And as comedies typically happen, she didn't want anybody to know about it. But when she got to the family brunch that Sunday, of course, everyone knew about it. And they were trying so hard to not say anything. They were so, trying so hard to avoid the topic. And in there lied the humor. But eventually she realized that everyone knew what had happened. And she figured it'd be better for me just to address this than to not say anything at all. And so she stops the whole family. She addresses what's been going on, what's been happening in her life. She gets kind of emotional. Eventually, she storms off and goes to the other room to just kind of process her feelings. And of course, the good husband goes and starts to like run after to, to console her, to help her, to be with her. And the mother-in-law stops the husband and says, no, 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 you wait here. Let me go talk to her. So the mother-in-law goes to the back room. At this point, I'm not even typing the emails anymore. I'm not even worried about that. I'm like zeroed in on this small little phone, like watching what's happening next. And the mother-in-law comes and finds this daughter-in-law and has this conversation, probably one of the most meaningful and beautiful conversations I've ever seen in a comedy TV show. And she has this conversation. She reminds her. She says, let me tell you something. You are loved in this family. And I want you to know, and she shares from her experience, how she had dealt with a similar thing. By the time she was done with her speech, I'm not, not, not no joke, no lie, I was sitting there in tears, crying, staring at my little phone on the desk. I thought to myself, the custodial night staff sometimes comes by to clean the offices, and I'm checking behind me, making sure that they're not coming, and I do what any sensible man would do. I rewound and rewatched that scene and cried a second time. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm an emotional person sometimes. We have feelings. We have emotions, and it's important that we understand how to work through those. And in this series, all the feels, we want to look at that. And the beautiful thing is this, that Jesus himself felt a lot of different things and emotions, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse, 14, verse 15, it says this, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now that's talking specifically to temptation, but the truth is this, the Jesus of the Bible that we get to know and study and, and meet with personally on a day-to-day -day basis as we read and pray, knows what it's like. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're feeling, what you're experiencing. He knows it from the, the temptation side, but also he knows all of the range of emotions. And as we take the next few weeks to study the emotions that Jesus has had, as we look at the way he interacts with his feelings, the way he interacts with the people, the crowds, the disciples, hopefully we would also learn to not be controlled by our feelings, to not be controlled by our emotions, but instead to take them and be able to harness them, to, to turn them in for great purposes that God has called us to do. And so in this series, we're going to look at that. So we're going to ask you to, to come with your, your heart open, ready to be touched and to be spoken to by God, ready to be transformed. And this morning, we're looking at the first emotion, and that is compassion. 
compassion. Now, I, whenever we talk about a word, I, I'm kind of a nerd like this. I want to make sure that I've really truly understood the topic to its fullest. And so I actually looked this up in the dictionary. I wanted to get it right. And, and the dictionary definition of compassion says this, feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune. That deep feeling of sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune. And then it adds this little tagline, which makes all the difference in the world. It says, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate that suffering. Accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. You see, there's a lot of words that sound kind of similar when it comes to this topic. We think of the word sympathy. And sympathy is more just understanding what others are feeling. This happens a lot with our students, with their parents. Like students want to be heard. They want to be understood. They want parents to have sympathy. And you can say to your child, I understand what you were going through. I understand that school is difficult. I understand that e-learning is not fun right now. And parents, hopefully we can have sympathy towards the situations of other people. But then you have empathy, which is to take on the perspective and feel the same emotions that they are feeling. That's like saying, hey, I've, I've, buddy, I've been to middle school before. I've been where you're at. I've been not invited to a party. I've had someone gossip about me. I know that it stings, and I know that it's difficult, but you're going to get through this. Sympathy is to understand. Empathy is to feel the emotions that others are feeling. And then you have compassion, which is similar to empathy, to feel, to understand, to take on those emotions. But it takes it a step forward, and that is to move it into action. There's also the word altruism, and that's simply the action side of it. That's simply going out and doing something good because it's our duty, because it's our civic responsibility, because it's good to do that thing. But compassion is probably the strongest of them all. So for our conversation this morning, we're just going to say compassion moves to action. Compassion moves to action. There's some type of suffering that someone is experiencing. There's some type of, like I said in the dictionary, a misfortune going on. Something is difficult in someone's situation. Another person understands and feels and can take on those feelings. But compassion takes it and moves it into action to be willing to be doing something about it. Are you guys still with me this morning? You're still tracking? All right, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter nine. This is where we get to Jesus, and we're gonna see what he does. Matthew chapter nine, verse 35 says this, and Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had a compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, if you look that up in your Bible, go ahead and keep your finger there. We're going to be looking at these verses. We're going to be taking out what God, what God is teaching us through these. And we start in verse 35, where it says, Jesus went through all the cities and all the villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. We would say this is a typical day in the life of Jesus. He's going around, he's traveling, he's finding people, he's preaching in a synagogue, he's going to the cities, he's going to the villages. It doesn't matter if it's a big place or a small place. He's walking, he's, he's riding on donkeys, he's, uh, you know, he has this like fluid schedule. I love it. I don't like virginity. I don't like being on time. And he's, he's, he's journeying to one place and he goes to another. He figures out where he's going to spend the night. What are they going to eat? Is it him and the disciples? Is it him and just the three? And he's constantly going and he's meeting and providing the needs of the people. 
It says he's proclaiming the gospel and he's providing healing for each of them. And in verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had, there's our word, say it with me, compassion. He saw the crowds, he had a compassion for them. Now, this is super interesting because I thought to myself, if we're going to talk about this, we looked at the dictionary definition, compassion means action, but I also want to look at it in the original language. Now, I know usually Trevor, Pastor Trevor is up here and he's giving us some little Greek words and and, and I'm going to give you the Greek word. It's not this like cool one that you're going to like remember or get like tattooed on your arm. Okay. It's, it's complicated. I'm going to give it my best go and I'm only going to say it once because it's just, it's a mouthful word. Splang knizomai. Okay, that's the Greek word. I didn't come up with it. Don't name your children that. But it's this Greek word that actually it says that it was invented by the apostles because there was not a word in the Greek to convey the level and the depth and the amount of emotion that went with compassion. That they had to create this word. And, and it's used about 12 times in the New Testament. Six times it's used in the same kind of context. So it's used in this passage five more times. It's used as this compassion that Jesus has for someone that moves to action. We see it two times out of the five extra when he feeds the 5,000. In Mark and in Matthew, Jesus sees the crowds. He's teaching to them. He has compassion over them. And he realizes these people need some food. And so he feeds the crowd. He uses that same word, compassion. Another time he has a conversation with a widow, with a woman whose son died. And he has compassion over her for the death of her son who had just passed away. That he, he prays and, and raises her son back to life. His feeling of compassion moves him to action. Two well-known passages. One is in Luke 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. You remember that? It's a parable where this guy's walking along and he gets robbed, he gets jumped, he gets beat up, left for dead. And two Jewish people, two like high-respected people walk by him and ignore him. And then the Samaritan who was from like a a different part of town who was hated and mistreated. and, and, And he walks by and decides out of the compassion that he feels for the person to pick him up to put him over his own donkey, to take him to get medical help, treatment, rest. He pays the bill for him, and he comes back to check up on him. That's compassion moving to action. And the final time that it's used is in in Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. You know this one well, too, where the son goes off and squanders his father's wealth, finds himself in the lowest of lows, and decides to return home. And it says in Scripture that the father is standing there waiting, looking for his son to come home. And finally, when he sees him off at a distance, it says he has compassion for him. So much so that he decides to start running towards him and embraces him and throws a celebration for him. The compassion that we're talking about, the compassion that Jesus has, is a compassion that moves us to real action. One more thing about this word. This is going to sound kind of weird, but, but understand it in its context. This type of compassion w- w- was said or could be translating to be moved to one's bowels. And I know that's a weird word. It doesn't sound uncomfortable. But the idea was that, that they didn't know where, where this compassion was coming from. And they felt like this was like the compassion from like the pit behind underneath their stomach. Like the deepest part of them. That's the compassion that moved them to this action. And Jesus has his compassion over the crowd because they were harassed, they were helpless, they were like sheep without a shepherd. You see, what's interesting in this passage is we're gonna see two different things that I think is worth us talking about for a few minutes. And the first one is that Jesus has compassion for physical needs. 
He has the compassion for their physical needs. I, I want us to really understand this because this is an important piece. We said like he feeds the 5,000. He's taking care of some physical needs, but Jesus also has compassion for spiritual needs. There's also compassion for spiritual needs. Now, in, in the Christian world for some time, people have kind of debated which of these two is greater. Which one is more important? Is it more important to provide for someone physically or to provide for them spiritually? You know, I remember being in college and having a conversation. It was during World Christian Week, or our Missions Emphasis Week. And I was in this breakout room where, where all the, the missions majors got together and they were talking about this. And it was so interesting because there was organizations that would go over to other countries and they would help with the physical needs of places. And there were some organizations that would go over and just preach the gospel. And, and people were frustrated. They were like, well, what's more important? Or which comes first? Or, or, or which is needed? And the truth is that both are important. Both are part of the same. Now, I don't know if you want to say they're 50-50. If, if I were giving you the definition, there's this part of my upbringing that still wants to say, well, maybe it's 51-49. I, I don't know. The spiritual needs are so important. The truth is you can't have one without the other. They go hand in hand. They're like two sides of a coin. You know, during that debate that I was sitting in, during that, those conversations I was a part of, I remember someone saying this. They said, how will they listen to the gospel over the grumbling of their empty stomachs. Both are needed. Both are important. Jesus, Jesus is modeling both, even right here in this passage. In verse 35, he says that he went around and he was healing every disease and healing every affliction. Jesus has compassion so much so that he is healing people's physical needs. But he is also taking care of spiritual needs. You know, if I, can, if I can say something to you, Mount Horeb, I will say this, that we do a really good job here. You guys have actually inspired me when it comes to, to having compassion for people's physical needs. You know, over this COVID time, I've had the chance to, to do our welcome. And as we, we do our welcome, we get to our time of prayer and then to our offering. And typically in our offering, we, we will say stuff. And I've said things from this stage of like, man, I'm blown away by the generosity of this church. But I want you to know that's not something that I just say. That's not a line that's someone given to me. I truly believe that. I have learned from this church to be incredibly generous. When I think of stuff like our, our budget, or I think of the ways that we go above and beyond that. Whenever we have a, a coat drive or a food drive or school supply drive, you guys respond and you provide those physical needs. When we have something like an Advent offering to be able to build houses in this community and overseas, you guys respond to that. And a couple, of, I think it was last year, we had uh, two Sundays that we kind of dedicated or, or talked about. We, we named them Compassion Sundays. If you remember that, Janice and her missions team, they, they helped pioneer that and lead that. And we had a, a Compassion International truck outside where we got to do the Compassion Experience. We had a speaker here on stage. And if I could be honest with you guys, can I still be vulnerable with you? Can I still keep sharing a little bit about me? I actually remember that Sunday coming into church and, and I had heard, I've heard the compassion pitch. I've heard about the, the children. I've seen the packets. And I, to be honest with you, I've gotten a little cynical over time. And I was just kind of, you know, as a, as a young high school student going to a concert or a church event, I just kind of thought to myself, well, here, here, here's the compassion spiel again. Here's what they're going to say. I know what's going to, and, and I know my excuse. I don't have money. I'm not making a lot of money. And in high school, in college, maybe that was true, but, but, but I could spare the amount of money to, to do this. And, and so I came to church that morning and my attitude was already kind of not in a great place. And when we sat down in the chairs, every couple of chairs, there was these packets for families to kind of look at and, and suggest that maybe by the end of our time together, you could take home a packet. 
And I remember doing this. I remember praying, and, and I hate saying this, but, but I prayed that, that day. I said, all right, Lord, if you want me to respond to this today, if you want me to take a packet home, then I'm gonna pray, Lord, that you would show me in a supernatural way. I was like, I'm gonna trick God. I was like, man, I'm gonna pray a prayer that God, you have to do something kind of miraculous. Maybe it's a song or maybe it's a verse that I've been studying that the pastor recites or maybe it's just like this moment or maybe I feel like they say my name or something. I don't know. I said, but, but if you show me in a supernatural way, I'll, I'll sponsor a child. I kind of was hoping that wasn't gonna happen. And sure enough, the end of the service came and nothing happened. And I was like, I won. But it wasn't a competition. And so in that moment, I remember standing up from my seat. And as I was walking out, I just felt the spirit nudge me. I said, dude, what are you doing? You're trying to like out pray. You're trying to like beat the system of God of, of man, I don't want to do this thing. You're being resistant for, for no real reason. And so I looked down. I saw a little packet. I picked it up, slid in my Bible. And I started to walk out. As I was walking out, one of our students came like running up to me. He's like, stow, stow, stow. He stopped me. You see, what happened was one of the commitments that compassion has is that when they put a child packet on a chair, they've been very intentional that they're not gonna put out duplicates. There's only a certain amount of number. They don't want uh, names to go wasted. They don't want names to be duplicated. And so we had students here that day volunteering. They had collected all the packets that were left over. They brought it back to, to kind of the main desk and they took the new names and put all of those ones back out. And while they were collecting the different packets from there, the student saw this one name. He said, you need to look at this one. And he handed it to me. And it was for a child named Gilang. And, and I remember looking at, at Gilang, and, and the first thing that struck me was his pose in the, in the photo. I thought to myself, this is my dude. This guy's an OG. You see, when he took the picture, have you ever taken a picture that you don't want to take? That was kind of his attitude. And, and so he looked at the camera, he smiled like this. I was like, dude, that's me. That's what I do when I don't want to take a picture. He just kind of had this attitude. He had these really cool Lightning McQueen red racing shoes on. I said, my dude, I love the movie Cars. And when I looked up, what was interesting about his name was that his name, he had a name and a last name written on the card, but in the middle, kind of a little bit bigger, was, was he likes to be, be called Galang. I said, dude, I've got a nickname. People call me Stallion. And in fact, when I write my name, I usually write my name. I put Stallion in the middle in quotes so people know it's a nickname. And then I put Stevanus, my last name, at the end. And so when I looked at his name, I saw Galang in the middle, and I looked to the left side to see his first name. His first name was Nathaniel. I said, wait a minute. Nathaniel rhymes with Daniel. I was like, this is interesting. So I jumped over to look at his last name, and I kid you not, my last name is Stevanus, S-T-E-V-A-N-U-S. It's not Jones, it's not Smith, it's not super common. Well, wouldn't you know that this kid's last name was S-T-E-F-A-N-U-S, it was the same last name, different by only one letter. And let me tell you something. I've, I've done research into this. My, the, if you think of someone who's named Stephen, or maybe they, they spell it with a V, or maybe they spell it with a PH, or maybe it's Stefan with an F. And so there's something about that sound that, that over time has gotten mixed. In, and, and essentially, my dude's got the same name and last name as me. Not really, but it was that sign that I was looking for. And so I hadn't looked at the other card, and so I took the other card out and put it down. And I took Galang's card and put it in. You know, it's his birthday coming up in December. I'm super excited about it. You see, I have been taught by this church to become more generous, to become more focused and more compassionate for the physical needs of other people, whether it be here in the community or overseas and abroad. I've learned from you guys. It's important. I think we do a good job with this. At the same time, I think compassion for spiritual needs is important. And I often have to pause and ask myself, how am I doing with that? You see, sometimes it's easy 
Sometimes it's easier. I think wherever we find ourselves, it could be one or the other. Sometimes it's easier to maybe just write a check or to support a child. You know, I, I, I sat down and did the math. I'm not great at this. But it's about $38, $40 that I multiply a month for, to support a child through compassion. So I remember doing the math. I multiplied that times 12. And that day, we, I think it was like 700 packets that we took from this church. That was over $300,000 that goes out in addition to what we already collect in this place. I've learned from the generosity of this church. And then I asked myself, how do I do with compassion for spiritual needs? One's not more important than the other. They go hand in hand. And Jesus models this in verse 35 when he's healing them and he's healing their afflictions when he's feeding the 5,000. But in verse 36, his concern shifts. And he says he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed, they were helpless, he says they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, this is an interesting illustration. This is an interesting word picture that Jesus gives. It's not the first time that he's talked about this. This is a concept of uh, sheep being without a shepherd. In, in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus was concerned that the people of Israel weren't being guided, weren't being led well. And he says, I'm coming to fulfill that role. And by the way, compassion moves to action. He fulfills that role to the point of dying for us on the cross. He dies for those sheep. You know, the, the passage in, in John 10 actually is linked back to Ezekiel chapter 34. If you have time this week, I encourage you to go back and look at it because there the prophet is speaking to the leaders and the religious leaders and, 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 and preachers of Israel. He's saying, you're not doing a good job leading the people. Spiritually, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Pastor Trevor spoke a few months ago about sheep. And if you remember, he brought a sheep right here on this stage. And, and as the sheep came out, he, he took some time and he said that the, the image, the analogy, the picture of a sheep is that they can't fend for themselves. They're not so smart. They need someone to lead them. They need someone to guide them. And Jesus says, in this moment, I'm moved. I'm this, this deep sensation of compassion for the people because of their spiritual needs. They're not being met. No one's taking care of them. No one's leading them. And then we get to verse 37 where he, he, he shifts a little bit. He finds the disciples. He says, he says to the disciples then, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He changes the analogy and he goes to agriculture and he says to the disciples, he goes, here's what's important. He goes, right now the harvest is ready. The harvest is ripe. He says harvest like three times. And in other parts of scripture, he talks about some people sow, other people reap the harvest. The idea is that the harvest is ready to be brought in. It's ready to be picked. It's ready to be whatever. It's apple season. It's ready to be brought in. The harvest time is ready, but the laborers, the workers, the people willing to do the work, the people willing to have compassion for these people physically and spiritually are few. He says, therefore, pray. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into his harvest. You see, Jesus' compassion moves him to action, to the action of prayer, to pray for the harvest that is to come to pray for the workers to come into the harvest and help reap that harvest. Jesus' compassion both for the physical and for the spiritual needs of the people. I wanna give us three things real quick, three ways that we can think for ourselves, how am I doing with this? 
Three ways where we can kind of put our own emotions, our own feelings in check and say, how is my compassion for people? How am I handling this? How am I doing in this area? And, and not in this like, this, this pass-fail grade, not as like, hey, I'm gonna give myself a grade, but, but God, do you need to change my heart? See, the first thing I think that we need to do, a physical response is that we need to see as Jesus sees. You see, it's interesting because the disciples are with Jesus when they see the crowd, but they don't notice it. Maybe they notice there was people. Maybe they notice that there was a crowd, but Jesus is the one that sees them and has compassion for them because he's looking at their spiritual condition. The other guys are just rolling up. Oh, there's 5,000. How are we gonna feed them? Where are we gonna find food? Jesus sees them and has compassion for them. He's willing to meet the physical needs. There's this organization, a big missions organization called Operation Mobilization. And the founder of this organization, his name is George Verwer. And he was a famous evangelist. He's still alive to this day. And, and he travels and speaks. And he created this whole uh, fleet of ships that would go around the world and bring the gospel message to other countries. I've heard him speak a couple times when I was in high school, when I was in college. And one of the things about George Verwer, every, everywhere he goes, no matter what the temperature is, no matter where he's speaking, he always wears this white jacket. And the white jacket is a jacket with the globe on it. The globe's like on, like the whole map of the world. And everywhere he goes, he says, are you thinking about the world? Are you remembering the lost people in the world? He, he wants this visual, constant reminder. The last time I heard him speak, he came out with this, this giant beach ball that was like uh, imprinted on the, 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 the globe, the earth. And he came out and he was like, could barely carry this thing. He's like, are you thinking about the world? Are you seeing as Jesus sees the needs of the people? Second thing, do you feel compassion as Jesus feels compassion? And we said this could be for physical, this could be for spiritual. My guess is that we probably are good at one or the other. That maybe like me, you have to grow. Maybe like me, you have to say, I need to become more generous. I have to be more willing to, to sacrifice my time, my resources to help people. Maybe for you, that's easy. Writing a check is like, no big deal, no big deal. And, and that's great, we need people like that. But maybe we have to start to see the spiritual conditions of people as well. Maybe our heart needs to start to stir for those needs as well. You know, we, we used to sing that worship song, break my heart for what breaks yours. But are we really, really willing to have that same level of compassion that Jesus had? That we could look to others and say, man, my heart hurts for what's going on. I wanna do something about it. I'm encouraged by this church. I see a lot of people starting ministries or, or starting organizations or, or promoting stuff of what they're passionate about. And that's great. We wanna keep doing that. We wanna keep being compassionate for the spiritual and the physical needs of the people around us. And lastly, are we, are we willing to do as Jesus does? You see, the first thing that he does when he has that compassion is he prays. He, he notices that the harvest is, is, is plentiful, the laborers are few. He says, so pray. So pray that the Lord of the harvest would send more workers. You know, there's the famous quote, you've heard this before, you can't, you can't do more than pray until you have prayed, but you can do more than pray after you have prayed. Are we praying for the harvest? Are we praying for the souls of people around us? Are we praying for the physical and spiritual needs of the people in our community? You know, if we start to see and feel and do as Jesus sees, feels, and does, we'll start to treat people differently. 
You know, when, when you walk into a store and, and, and the person is, is checking out your groceries, you'll interact with them differently if you start to think about them, their spiritual condition and their physical needs. When the teenager is getting you your food at Chick-fil-A, you'll, you'll treat them differently. When you're in traffic, you'll treat people around you differently. When you're, when you're with family, when you're dealing with teachers, frustrating systems and, and whatever it is that we go through, we'll deal with it differently. We start to have compassion for people's physical and people's spiritual needs. How are you doing with these? Where does God need to move and soften your heart? Maybe you've become cynical. Maybe like me, I walked in, I just had an attitude for no real reason. Maybe you can come to God and say, Lord, change my heart. Break it for what breaks yours. Lord, make me more compassionate. Help me to see as you see. and Help me to move to action towards the needs of others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word, the Holy Scriptures. Thank you, Father God, that you teach us what it means to live in community with others. And we're emotional people. We feel things. And you model for us, Lord, how to have these feelings, how to do well with them. So Father, when it comes to compassion, when it comes to the people around us, would you give us eyes to see, emotions to feel, and hands to do. Father, that we may be able to help and have compassion towards those in need, both physically Lord, if there's somewhere where we need to be more generous, if there's a place where we need to give our time, if there's something that we need to do better in this, Father, make us to be more generous with the physical needs of others and also spiritually. Father, if we haven't thought about our neighbors who don't know you, if we haven't thought about the people in this community who don't have a relationship with you, if there's something that we've missed, Father, give us the eyes to see the spiritual needs of those around us. Now, Father, we may grow in our compassion for the world just as you had compassion for each of us. We love you, Jesus. Change us today. Amen.